and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Okay, first thing I want to say is some people send me questions in other ways. Uh, they leave them on me on Twitter, through my Facebook page. I, I, I'm going to ask you guys not do that. Just send it to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com or leave it in the comment section of my YouTube channels and I will get to them, okay? But if I get them from other places, I can't guarantee that I'm necessarily gonna remember to cut and paste it and stuff because I don't look at those other places the same as I do this stuff when I'm doing my Q&A stuff, putting, putting all the questions together in my queue so I can answer them. Okay, simple request there. And then also I wanted you guys to know, um, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I get asked all the time what kind of recommended books am I reading or have I read or what would I throw out to you guys as far as good material on Scientology, on critical thinking, on psychology, sociology, the brain, all the stuff I'm reading now, etc. So I put together on Amazon a page. I'm a, I, I got this Amazon Associates thing and I set it up and there's books there and stuff. And so if you go there and check out what I'm recommending, then maybe you'll want to take a look at it. And the link to that is below in the uh, comment section of my videos now. Uh, my Amazon storefront sounds so formal. It's really just a little <laughs> website with some books. But anyway, if you guys want to check those out, that's another way of supporting the channel, as well as, of course, the merch you can get through Teespring. Link also below and also up, I think, in this corner with the little eye, the little round eye. You click on that and you can get to that uh, Spreadshirt store. So anyway, just kind of throwing those things out there as alternative ways to support the channel and uh, keep this whole thing going. So let's now get on with your questions. Brian Torpy, do you watch the Scientology Network at all? If so, it seems that almost every advertisement and show is narrated by David Miscavige. Do you think that's actually him doing it or someone hired who intentionally sounds like him? Is he that hands-on with the network, and does he have that much time in his hands to narrate everything that airs on the channel? Thanks for the question, Brian. I checked it over because uh, I haven't watched Scientology TV since the first season when it came out. I, I watched a bunch of the shows then and I went, yeah, this is all stuff I've either even seen before or, you know, I've seen at events and stuff in Scientology back when I was still in. Uh, or it was, you know, freshly, newly produced material that was incredibly, you know, boring and nonsensical and you know, I can only I can only take listening to that stuff myself so much these days before my brains start leaking out of my of my ears. So uh, no, I am not keeping up on what the Scientology Network is producing. I definitely have way better things to spend my time doing. Um, so, but I did go watch, uh, flip through a bunch of the shows from season one, season two, and looked through to see what you were talking about. And no, David Miscavige is not narrating any of those shows, at least none that I could find. I went through about five or six uh, samples, and there was a narrator, and I've heard that voice before, and that is a narrator who works for Scientology. I, I don't know if he's a Scientologist or not, but he's been around for many, many years, and he has done a lot of the Scientology um, video work, and the which of course then goes into the Scientology Network videos uh, as a narrator. He's been around for a while. I'm not again. I don't know who that guy is, but uh, he's either hired talent or he's a Sea Org member. But he's somebody that they've been using for a while. Not David Miscavige. All right. Uh, the only thing I think David Miscavige ever got hands-on with 
on the network, at least that I saw, was the opening intro video. That's definitely him. And if you listen carefully to his voice in that first video that is put out, which is, I think it has a picture of him with those striking blue eyes or whatever. I think they photoshopped that stuff. Um, anyway, that his voice is distinctive, and if you listen carefully to that and then go and listen to the narrator in the other videos, you'll hear a difference. Um, uh, Miscavige has this sort of Philly accent, uh, and the narrator who's doing all the other work for Scientology videos does not. Uh, so that would be a, a difference you could find there. All right, so I uh, hope that answers your question, Brian. Kevin Zay. I was wondering if you have ever run across people who come in, who come to believe in a different religion after leaving Scientology. I would think one would tend to stay non-religious or even become an atheist after leaving such a high control group. Great question, Kevin. And I haven't done any big, broad census or survey, but what I have seen um, from my own purview, from my own experience and, and observation is that some people do go back to the religion they were involved in before they were a Scientologist. Some people do newly find religion for themselves. Um, and some people don't want to have anything to do with organized religion anymore, and they stay away from it. And I would be in that third category. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I think I have very good reasons to uh, not trust organized religious activities. Uh, and I have, I mean, you know, it's not just Scientology. I mean, you see every single day in the media fundamentalist Christian organizations here in the, in the United States doing the most ridiculous things. Uh, blatant, gross violations of separation of church and state because they feel entitled to, because uh, 70, you know, some odd percent of the United States are Christians. And these fundies, I'm not, I'm not painting a big broad brush here to all Christians, because I know all Christians are not this way. But the fundamentalists and the evangelicals, they drive me crazy. I, I can't stand those people. So um, just the entitlement that they feel. And then the persecution complex. I mean, my God. Anyway, you're not asking me for my opinions about that. I'm sorry I went off on that. Um, as far as where Scientologists, former Scientologists go, okay, Leah Remini, for example, went to Catholicism. I know a couple other people who are former Sea Org members that I knew when I was in uh, who are now Christians strong Christians. Like, they talk about it, they post memes about it, we're Facebook friends. So I have friends, you know, I don't want anybody getting the wrong idea that I can't be friends with Christians or something. I, I absolutely can. I can be friends with anybody. I don't, you know, I don't really care what your religious beliefs are as long as you're not trying to foist them off on me. That's the only thing I don't, you know, that I get riled up about with, with uh, people in other religions is they, they feel that freedom of religion uh, only applies to them, <laughs> you know, and their religious beliefs trump everybody else's, and that kind of intolerance is just not, I, I, I'm not down with that, and I think the majority of us are not, okay, I'm just to be, you know, really stupid clear about that. Um, there are certainly trust issues that I have, I have and I have seen with others. Uh, and, and, you know, this is, if this isn't understandable after coming out of a destructive cult situation, right? I mean, where you are in this abusive relationship with this religious organization, you come out of that, you know, you don't want to jump from one cult to another. And as I've said before, that's how I discovered critical thinking was uh, how do I avoid doing that? You know, it was the, that was the burning question in my mind when I got out of Scientology was, holy shit, how do I make sure that I never, ever have this happen to me again? 
And, you know, and six years later, seven years later, here I am, you know, having talked about and studied and gone over all the stuff I've, I've been talking about. And I'm still not particularly interested in trying to find somebody who's going to tell me all about my spiritual nature or my relationship with God or how I should live my life according to their ideas. I'm, I'm just not interested at all. I'm very, very happy being the master of my own <laughs> religious and, and spiritual destiny, and, uh, and that's kind of how I approach it personally. Uh, I'm wide open to all kinds of ideas, and I'll listen to just about anybody that, anything that anybody has to say, at least initially, until they go into crazy land. But, um, but I'm, you know, so I'm willing to be, you know, I'm willing to change my mind. I'm willing to look at things. But, um, but I'm not looking for religion at this point. <laughs> so uh, that's my take on it. I really can only really speak intelligently about my own views on this and from what I've seen from others. I've seen that other people have gone into, you know, religious beliefs and stuff. And I'm, I'm great. You know, more power to you. If it makes a person happy, if it assists their recovery from Scientology or whatever other destructive cult they were involved in, Great. Um, I have seen people in some of the support groups uh, on um, Facebook, but support groups, I mean like the supporters of Leah Remini's show or the fans of the Scientology and the Aftermath show, those Facebook groups. Um, I've seen religious types come in there and talk to former members and, and sort of preach at them, and I think that's highly inappropriate. So I think if somebody's reaching or looking and they're asking questions and they're reaching for something, fine, then talk about it. But don't go pushing, you know, your religion on some guy who just got out of a destructive cult situation. That's, that, you know, that's just not, that's not a good idea. That's just not. <laughs> At least that's my opinion about it. Uh, so, Kevin, thank you very much for your question. I hope that that gives you some ideas of where my thoughts are on all of that. RCK. As I read more stories from former Sea Org members about women in the Sea Org who end up pregnant, having to get an abortion, a simple question comes to mind. If nothing is to interfere with the work of the Sea Org, not even pregnancy, then isn't birth control pushed and, more importantly, provided? This would seem to be the best solution for an organization that demands total commitment, but at the same time permits its members to have sex. Or is this another case of it's best if you use birth control, but you have to buy your own birth control? Don't expect Scientology to spend its own money on you. Okay, complicated, difficult topic. Um, all I can say is the whole time that I was in the Sea Org, no one ever, ever offered to pay for any aspect of birth control, abortion, or any, any part of it. Um, most of those funds, though, I mean, we did use birth control, my wife and I, when I was in the Sea Org, and um, the Planned Parenthood, we were in Los Angeles at the big blue buildings, the PAC base, there's a Planned Parenthood right down the road. I mean, they'll, they'll give you more condoms than you ever wanted to, you know, ever wanted to use. Uh, and my wife was on birth control, and she was getting that through Planned Parenthood, as I understood it, and getting it at some kind of a discount. Um, now, if I'm wrong about that and Planned Parenthood wasn't giving her the birth control, then she was getting it through some other discount program because I know that's how she was getting it. The Sea Org was not paying for any of that birth control. And when she needed to get an abortion, um, that was also on the public dime. Uh, almost all science Sea Org members, not public Scientologists, don't mind you, and not the general staff, I'm talking about the Sea Org specifically, 
use the public uh, funds. So they'll, they'll, they'll go claim, um, you know, poverty uh, as individuals. And the church has actually set up lines like with the L.A. County Hospital uh, and with other hospitals in the, in the greater Los Angeles area, various specialists and stuff. They've kind of set those lines up, kind of greased those lines so that they know how to get a Sea Org member the cheapest possible medical care, you know, uh, but still competent medical care. I mean, you know, if you go down to L.A. County, it's not exactly the best place to be on a Friday or Saturday night when there's gunshot wounds right, literally right next to you. Uh, but you're going to get quality medical care there. So anyway, on birth control, um, that was what I saw and experienced. And I can't imagine that other people were getting, I mean, I never once saw the Sea Org flip the bill uh, for uh, anything related to birth control. Now, according to more recent information, in the most extreme cases where they don't really trust you anymore with the birth control, then for males, they're going to get a vasectomy and women would, you know, get their tubes tied and that would be that. And then there wouldn't be any more need for birth control ever again. So I've seen that happen at least once, probably twice. So, um, and I also did see Sea Org members, like I had a friend in the Sea Org who went and got a vasectomy on his own. Uh, I don't know how he paid for it. I imagine he, like I just described, I imagine he just used the public dole uh, to get it, you know, discounted or paid for somehow. I don't know. But he did that on his own because he, you know, saw that that was a problem uh, with the birth control and stuff. And that's how he went about doing it. So when it's, you know, and I don't have a problem with somebody who voluntarily goes and does that. That's, you know, fine. Um, but, you know, but... <laughs> Let's keep in mind that this was a guy who was married in the Sea Org who thought that the rest of his life he was going to spend in the Sea Org. You know, he's still there, so maybe he was right. Uh, and so they were never going to have kids, so they made that choice, right? Uh, when it's not your choice, when it's something you don't want to do, then I have a real problem with it. And that was why we, we talked about it in that earlier interview with, uh, with Bree. So if you want to check that out, you can. Yeah, the Sea Org isn't really big on not on paying for anything that they don't have to. They, if, they, if they can avoid it in any way, they will. <laughs> so that's kind of how that goes. Todd Elliott. LRH was a very prolific writer, but everything I've read of his seems like a horrible word salad. Did he write anything worth reading? Well, you know, talent and entertainment are in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, like beauty. And I know of people, lots of people, who have read Elrond Hubbard's stories, loved them, thought they were great pulp fiction, thought they were wonderful, Battlefield Earth was amazing, uh, Fear, Stephen King gave a positive review to, so, you know, that's a book that Hubbard got some, uh, some traction on. Final Blackout was a, was a book that has been well-reviewed by a number of sources and was thought to be a... Uh, an upper grade from a standard pulp fare from the from that time period. Um, so so there are some stories Hubbard's written that have gained some traction over time. But um, I think uh, another one was uh, Slaves of Sleep, Masters of Sleep, or you know some of those kind of things. Typewriter in the Sky. I mean these are these are titles I'm familiar with because they were being pushed while I was in the church, and um, and I saw you know that they seemed to be popular. Uh, not just in the Sea Org or within Scientology, but out in the big wide world. I mean, Hubbard did make a name for himself writing, and he did keep himself going for years by writing, so he must have had some talent. I don't happen to like his work, though. 
right? I mean, I, re I tried when I was in the Sea Org to read his stuff, uh, the Pulp Fiction I'm talking about, and I just couldn't get into it. It just was not my writing style, not my, not my jam, you know? Um, but as far as, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm not going to recommend any of it. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't particularly like it. I, I look at Fear and I think, eh, it was all right. You know, it's a little weird. It, it reads, it, it reads like a bit of a weird LSD trip in a couple places. It's because it's about this guy who was having memory problems and he's lost, you know, three or four hours of his life. And it's an interesting premise. Suddenly he can't remember this whole slot of time and what happened in it. And of course it, you know, there's, there's, there's demons there. And, uh, and he, of course, ends up finding out what happened. And the end is a nice twist. And I'm sure at the time it was a very original story. It's been done about, I don't know, a hundred times since then. Um, and uh, Final Blackout, you know, post-apocalyptic commentary on uh, leadership and the military. You know, probably not a bad book. I read it when I was in the Sea Org, and I remember liking it. I'd have to take a look at it again now to see whether I, it would hold up now. Fear did not, <laughs> and Battlefield Earth did not. I used to, when I first got out of Scientology, and when I was in, I thought Battlefield Earth was a, was a really good book. And on further reflection, now that my mind has changed about so many things uh, over the last few years, that's one of the things my mind has changed on, too. I look back on it, and I just see all the Scientology that's buried throughout the storyline, and I just kind of roll my eyes and go, ugh, you know, come on, man. So, you know, that, that's my take on all of that. So it really is going to depend on you and your preferences and your tastes as to whether you're going to like it or not. If you think Hubbard's work is all a bunch of word salad, then you're in my camp. <laughs> and I think he writes atrocious dialogue. I mean, I just cannot stand his dialogue. And the, the number of uh, coincidences and nonsense that go on in his stories in order to make them happen or occur, you know, to move the plot forward is just, uh, he's clunky, he's just not a smooth writer. And, uh, and I, you know, again, with the few exceptions we, we talked about here. So I, 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 I would not recommend reading Howard Hubbard. <laughs> and that's my take on it. Adria Holub. I was listening to Jeffrey Augustine's interview of Bill Franks, and just after the 49-minute mark, Jeff makes the observation, money is God in Scientology. Given their conversation so far, it's logical to see how money would be equated with God in Hubbard's and the Church of Scientology's praxis, if not in its stated theology. What are your thoughts about Jeff's statement? Okay, thanks for the question. Um, I don't think it's formally in the dogma of Scientology, particularly, that God, you know, that money is God. Uh, Hubbard talked in a finance policy about make money, make more money. The solution to any problems you're having is to make more money. If you're having problems with money, just get more of it, right? Uh, that was kind of Hubbard's way of, of thinking and, and operating, and he told his organizations to run that way. But um, but there's a lot, you know, but, but the, the, definitely the mainline thrust of L. Ron Hubbard's policies and issues on how organizations were to run were that they were supposed to provide a service uh, or materials right, uh, for sale, and that was how they were to make money. And those services were to be delivered, and people were to be happy with them. And this is all in the policy. I mean, Hubbard, Hubbard really wanted that. So, you know, um, at the same time, all that being said, Scientology, I have said many times, is a money-making scam at, at its root heart. The nature of the thing is to make money. So, I'm just sort of separating the policies from this, this fundamental 
thing that lies underneath it, right? Uh, which is this, you know, make money, make money, make money, give me power, give me influence, give me money. That was kind of Hubbard's and then Miscavige's, you know, that's how they run the thing. Um, but the public Scientologists, the staff members, the Sea Org members, that, that God, money's not God to them. For, they're in Scientology because they want to be God. <laughs> <laughs> and they think that by doing Scientology, by working for Scientology, by getting their exchange in, quote-unquote, with Scientology, they will be able to get up this bridge to total freedom, achieve full OT, and become gods themselves. That's the thing about, you know, what Scientology is all about as far as the believers go, as far as the members go. Uh, so when I talk about Scientology being a money-making scam, I'm talking at its most root level, but really the only people who benefit from that is the guy, you know, at the very, very top. Everybody else is just, you know, working and slaving their asses off. So that's kind of, I don't know, I hope that's a distinction there, but that's, uh, that's my answer to the question, my thoughts on it, and I hope that, uh, hope that helps. Mark Chapman, long-time watcher of your channel along with other Scientology channels, and I have a question that I have yet to find an answer for, which I'm hoping you may be able to provide. My question relates to the level of indoctrination within Scientology. I've seen a few videos with audio clips from LRH lectures on YouTube talking about his so-called research. I'm wondering how the church knows that someone is indoctrinated enough into the Scientology way of thinking to be able to listen to these lectures without questioning where the results of this research is. I can't see everyone in the church being fully indoctrinated at the same level after a certain amount of courses or OT levels. So how does the church know when someone is able to listen to these lectures without asking any questions about the validity of the research and asking to see the results? Keep up the good work in exposing Scientology as a money-making scam and all the other work you do to expose the dangers of cult behavior. Thanks, Mark. Great question. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the kind of extensive podcast I did uh, a couple months ago about training, Scientology training, but I'm going to leave a link in the description on this video to that so you can check that out. It is really important to understand how the Scientology training works because it kind of addresses your question. People are not necessarily watched for when they're going to be ready or when they're not going to start questioning Hubbard. That's not exactly what people are watching for within Scientology. When somebody new comes along, they do the basic services, the, the introductory courses, the new level courses, and they buy into stuff. And it's worded in a very secular way. There's all the Scientologies is stripped out of it. Very easy to understand, very common sense principles. And people buy into that and they assert or they, they ascribe L. Ron Hubbard to the, the, the source of the material. And so when they find that some of these common sense principles help them out in life, then they uh, go, oh, well, Scientology, great. You know, this stuff works. And that's their fatal flaw. <laughs> it's right there. See, it's this assumption that people make that if some of a thing works, then the rest of it works too. And all these people are here telling me that and reinforcing that knowledge. So therefore, this unwarranted assumption on the part of the new Scientologist gets them into all kinds of hot water. Now, that's not to say that at that point, after making that assumption, they never question anything. 
but it's just this thing that happens and I don't even have some kind of label for it or explanation for it other than it's just a logical fallacy that people make. They think because of their own experience, and experience is king with this kind of stuff, they have a positive experience, they have a favorable bias to this thing, so they're going to tend to think and get grant credence or credibility to the rest of the subject even though they don't know even what it consists of or what it contains. Um, okay, so the training, the way the training is done, and as, as I described in that podcast, um, and I'm not going to try to redo it all here, but the supervisors, the word clearing with the dictionaries and all the various accoutrements and, and, and methods and things that go into Scientology training, all of them are designed to clear up misconceptions or misunderstandings or things the person doesn't get with the material. And all these things are designed to sort of warp your thinking around the idea that if something doesn't make sense, it's because you don't get it, not because it doesn't make sense, right? Everything L. Ron Hubbard ever said or wrote, fully consistent, non-contradictory, all makes beautiful sense. You know, if it ever runs into any sort of problem with science or outside sources, then L. Ron Hubbard is always the uh, go-to, is always the default answer, is what L. Ron Hubbard said, not what physics or or geology or biology or any any of those things said. We can just invalidate that. Hubbard is is the one who knows what he's talking about. And the supervisors and the word clearers and all the staff of the Scientology organizations stand by and, and have this attitude about Scientology. So there's this going to be this even this in-group sort of group peer pressure to get you to comply with that way of thinking. If something's not making sense to you, it's you who isn't getting it. It's not that the material doesn't make sense. That's really what it comes down to. And all of these methods and things, the word coin, the false data stripping, crash and misunderstood word finding, the, the meter checks, like all these things that the supervisors and the word clearers do are all designed to get you and keep you in that frame of mind. So you will then self-police. After you've adopted this as true, right, like I... You know, you, here's a sentence that doesn't quite make sense to you. And so we go over it and, you know, use a little demo kit or find the words you don't understand or I make you go put it in clay or whatever we do. So you finally go, okay, now I see how this sentence could make sense. Good. See, it made sense all along. You just weren't seeing how it made sense, right? And the guy goes, yeah, I guess so. And you go, good. We're not going to talk about that anymore, and you move on, right? And then it happens again, and there you are, sitting there as the student, looking at this sentence that doesn't really make sense to you, but you know what's going to happen if you start questioning it. So you go, all right, I guess there's something here I don't understand, and you break open your dictionary, and you start sorting things out, and you kind of make it make sense, right? So you're self-policing at that point. It doesn't take all but one, two, three of these things to go down this way before you're doing it to yourself. And you have all these tools to use to do it. So at that point, it becomes a habit of yours as a Scientology student. And then once that's inculcated, that, I guess, would be the answer to your question of, 
At that point, we don't have to worry about you anymore because now we can give you any aspect or part of Scientology and you'll figure it out. You'll make it make sense somehow, right? And, uh, and if you don't, and the supervisor tries to help you or the word clear tries to help you and they can't help you, there's a whole area of the organization called the qualifications division. You're going to get sent over there and they're going to work with you like full, full time. And they're going to do even auditing actions on you to get this to make sense to you if it doesn't, right? And they got all kinds of, there's so many things in Scientology that they can do to you to get your head around these concepts and ideas and get you to make them make sense to you. And here's the thing, it, you know, our minds are amazing. We can hold two contradictory thoughts at the same time and make them make sense, even though they are mutually exclusive ideas. That's the power of our ability to wrap our logic and reasoning around things. We're that good or that bad <laughs> of thinkers. Uh, we have to be as human beings because of all the different, you know, the way we evolved is to be able to do that because we have to, um, you know, if you're going to be a logical, rational creature, you're going to have to develop the ability to do that, to hold contradictory ideas in your head so that you can contemplate, log you know, and figure them out. Um, and then, so, so the cults take advantage of that mechanism to make things that don't make sense make sense, quote unquote, if you see what I'm, if you see where I'm going with all this, right? I'm trying to keep it simple. But anyway, I think you get my point. I'm totally, I'm totally sure you get where I'm going with all this. And I think that, that once that self-policing is in place, guy's a Scientologist and that's just, you know, and, and, uh, and there you go. So I hope that answers your question and thanks for asking. Okay, guys, so that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and watching and listening to me go on at a mad rate about all of this. Uh, as always, uh, if you find my channel informative, educational, and at least a little bit entertaining, <laughs> da, 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 then uh, consider signing up, joining me on Patreon to help keep this channel going uh, because I really could use your help with that, okay? And uh, always, of course, remember, it's chaos. Be kind. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.